0: Welcome to episode 29 of the Web Joy Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie. In this podcast, we interview guests about their origin story and what makes them excited and joyful to be part of the tech community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please just give a girl a chance with Amber Shand. Welcome to another episode of Web Joy. I'm excited to have Amber with us today. Amber, say hi to the nice people listening.
1: Hello, everyone. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'd love to take a couple of minutes to have you just kind of explain who you are, what you do, where you work, you know, a brief intro.
1: Cool. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's amazing to be here. So a bit about me. So my name's Amber. I come from an economics and accounting degree. So I actually was learning how to code in my second year of university when I did a mergers and acquisitions internship in Madrid. And I realised that finance definitely was not for me. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> yeah, went through Code First Girls, retrained through there. In 2020, during the pandemic, I started taking it a lot more seriously. And now I'm an award-winning front-end engineer I also have a podcast called Glowing in Tech, where I co-host alongside Jesse, where we showcase Black women in tech. I also have a blog at amishan.co.uk.
0: I think that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you've been busy.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think no one would blame you for wanting to shift into tech after dealing with a merger and an acquisition internship. Doesn't sound particularly fun, but I guess... In the midst of that, you ended up shifting to tech. What was it that kind of made you think when you realized this isn't what I want to do, how did you realize Mm -hmm. tech is what you wanted to do?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. I think that at the time, there was a lot of really scary news about automation taking over jobs and how like, you know, professions that we admire, like lawyers, doctors, surgeons, and all these other well-respected roles... We're now g- going to be automated by like <laughs> AI and all these scary things and I was like darling I don't have time for this <laughs> so, <laughs> so I researched into like high in demand skills because I wanted to just, I just need to be protected I said darlings I don't want to be a victim of technology I want to be like on the side of it like actually building it and then that's how I found about coding and I was like what? what is this thing? I was just so, I was just so confused. But um, that's when with Code First Girls, I did their web development course, you know, a cheeky little HTML, CSS, the bare basics. And I was out here saying that I was a web developer. So when it, I was like, yes, darling, this coding thing is just, this is what they were talking about. And then when I was applying for roles, I was like, JavaScript. <laughs> no one said anything about that and and at the time there wasn't a big like frenzy I want to say overreact but I was so shocked at like the huge barrier to entry that there was compared to like finance where you can say I'm passionate about numbers and there wasn't necessarily the whole data structures and algorithms interviews proving yourself before landing that role like I didn't have to have like a project list of all the accounts that I've balanced to prove that you know I can be an accountant. So that was just a huge shift. I just couldn't comprehend the fact that now these interviews were going to be super it's really challenging. And I kept having that barrier of, oh, but you don't have a computer science degree. Why do you want to do this? And I'm like, please, just give a girl a chance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess. How did you? How did you deal with that, right? Obviously you ran into this interview type stages that it's intimidating for all of us, right? No matter if it's been a year or 10 years in tech. You obviously made it, you pushed through, you got the job. <laughs> How did you approach that? What was kind of the thing that kind of ticked over in your mind where you were like, "All right, I can do this and" Everything.
1: So with Code First Girls, that was a great introduction to web development as a concept. And then we also had the Python course, which actually introduced us to the concept of APIs and things of that region. But I had no clue what was going on. So I went back to university to finish off my economics and accounting degree. And then 2020 March, the pandemic hit, and I was just like, what is going on? (laughs) Like I was I was so in denial. I was like to my friends, look, darlings, it's going to be fine. But then I realised I really need to take this coding thing seriously because I'd been applying for graduate schemes from August 2019 and I kept getting rejected and only a few I got through. One of them, they were like, you know what, don't stress out about, you know, the test." And then it was, I no one had told me at this point about data structures and algorithms. So all I'm seeing is binary search tree, What's this? What? Oh, no. And I'm like, all I know is all I know at this point is basically HTML, and CSS, like and a bit of Python, but not to the extent of knowing how to reverse a binary search tree or to steal these things. I was like, what's this tree that they're talking about? <laughs> I, was, I was so confused. And it was a real wake up call that I probably can't balance my degree and actually learning how to code. Because it was too much of a learning curve for me to do both. And it was my final year of university and things were getting really tough. So the pandemic hit and now like I've got a lot of time. And that's when I joined the Sky Get Into Tech Scheme, which is a 14 week part time course with Sky. And that was great because I had the power of community. So we we're all learning together which was great. And I was also teaching with Code First Girls. I was teaching their web development course. Because remember, I was saying I know about HTML and CSS at least. And I was looking at, because the thing is, a big feedback that was I was getting was, one, I didn't have a computer science degree. So I didn't get through like most of like past the CV stage. So I was stalking people on LinkedIn who had a computer science degree. And how can I stand out against them? And like a few of them had taught with Code First Girls. So I thought, Okay, great. Two in one, you know, accelerating my learning, giving back to the community. But then also like being able to put stuff on my CV and say, look, I'm technical enough if I'm able to at least be involved in this, in teaching a coding course. Right.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And so my whole thing was, okay, I need to kind of build up my brand at the same time that having solid proof that I can actually code my projects, teaching and be involved in this community because it meant that there's that accountability. I think that it can be quite a lonely route, learning how to code and face all these hurdles and all these things that you see on Twitter, roadmap to land your first job, And then it's like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, React, testing, like data structure. And, algorithm. and it's so overwhelming. I remember feeling so stressed. I was like, I'm not sure if, I'm going to be able to, to actually land that role because it was so stressful. But it also, like, I was pair programming with my friend. We pair programmed every day from, like, 9am to 12pm for, like, two months on Code Wars. Wow. And it was so helpful because she was better than me. And when it's amazing when you find someone better than you because it means that they can explain certain concepts to you. And, and it was just probably the one of the most amazing experiences because... It taught me how to think like a coder. I just didn't, when I saw like those little mini, like the basic catters. I was, how am I meant to know that an array is the thing that I need to use to solve this problem? How do I know about the various different methods when it comes to various different data types? That whole concept was super confusing. So I think that the power of community definitely accelerated my learning growth. And I had a lot of help when it came to preparing for interviews as well, which was amazing.
0: Yeah, I think, like you said, problem solving, right? And understanding what tools to apply to different situations. It's all about actually encountering those situations where like you need to use that tool and having someone there to be able to say, hey, this situation is where I you would use this and this one is where I'd use that. I love that. that. That definitely, I can see how that would speed up the learning process.
1: Yeah, and it's like when you're getting that kind of rejection, it can be easy for you to be put off of still applying for roles. And the thing is, I know that I applied way too early. Who told me to apply for computer science graduate schemes when I only knew HTML, CSS, basically? But I feel like I would definitely apply early because it gives you a great insight into what you need to prepare for. So I remember applying for the scheme, and someone asked me about Git commands, and I was like, "We've just used." GitHub desktop like I was like I know about the whole pulling and pushing concept but I didn't know about Git commands and so after that interview I basically wrote down all of the questions that she asked me I made sure to learn everything that's because it's like clearly I know that with well at the time I didn't know the importance of Git so I reached out to a few software developers that I knew I was like is this something that I really need to learn is it like the whole binary search tree thing which I'm just not going to be I'm just, I'm just not gonna delve in like Is this actually something I need to know? And it was like confirmed, like, yes, you'll be using this tool every day. You need to know how to use a terminal. And I was like, terminal commands. (laughs) But yeah, it's honestly a great way to focus on the things that you actually need to learn to learn that role and things that are relevant within that role as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's utilizing, putting yourself into a position a little bit earlier than you might do it. Hopefully, that also could take pressure off. Like, if someone knows, okay, I'm not actually expecting to get into graduate school right now or get a job right now, but that I'm just putting myself in this position to learn what people are looking for. And, like, hopefully, that takes a little bit of the pressure off. You know, they can just think of it as practice. I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: One of the things that we try to talk about every episode is something that brings you joy. So, What is it that kind of brings you joy?
1: Oh my gosh, there's so many different things. One of my missions is definitely to get more women into tech, like whether that's through learning how to code or whatever. But I think that's why I've been so heavily involved in various different communities, like Code First Girls and Code Black Females, and just to see their development as they go from, you know, just being quite confused, what's a variable, what are the basic like for loops and things like that to actually landing their first role. I think that there's a lot of courses out there about how to code, but there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily focused. Like there's not a big focus on like just how much imposter syndrome may impact you even applying for jobs and when you apply for those jobs. And I've been doing a lot more research into things like imposter syndrome and how that shows up in various different ways and like how it's definitely affected me. So one way is the expert. So sometimes when you feel like you never know enough. How can I apply for a role when I'm not proficient at JavaScript? But then how is that measured? You know, or it's like the perfectionists, they have super high expectations. Like, I don't want to go to an interview if I can't answer those questions. There have been times in interviews where I've said, I don't know the answer. <laughs> and it's just, I remember I was like, I'm sorry, I actually don't know the answer to this. And it's so uncomfortable. It's so awkward. And I can understand how that can actually take an effect on your confidence because I'm someone that has very high expectations for myself. So the fact that I'm here telling this person that I don't have a clue, it just makes you feel very vulnerable. And I remember having the worst interview of my life, and I'm screaming <laughs> like, I'm literally screaming afterwards like that was the world's worst interview. Also, in can show up as you know the natural genius. So. So there's a thing called GCSEs, which is for like, I want to say 11-year-olds to 16-year-olds in the UK. Those came very easy to me. And because that kind of instilled this, I should get things on the first try
0: kind of thing. Mm, Yeah.
1: Yeah, like when I'm like learning how to code, I'm like, why do I need to look back at this for loop? Like, why can't I just learn it once and then it's just in here? And like, um, sometimes... I was even talking about this in a Twitter space today when people say, oh, how do you get so good at coding? And the answer for everything, how to get good at anything is time and consistency. But everyone wants that kind of hack. Like, I want to get good in six days. How can I get 10 years of developer experience in six days? Is there like kind of some cheat form that I can do? And then also the soloist and they're the person that kind of says, oh, I can't ask for help or any questions, because it just exposes the fact that I really am an imposter. So it's just like having those conversations with people and delving deep into what's holding you back from maybe learning how to code, progressing in that, applying for jobs. And yeah, and even when you're in that job, like how that's affected, I think that it's very rewarding for me to see people develop. And that makes me extremely happy.
0: I love that's something that you like to talk about and get out there. Because I mean, like, if someone were to draw a caricature of a programmer, I would probably match it. I've been nerdy since I grew up. I wear glasses, right? <laughs> I match every little checkbox that someone would expect of, like, a caricature of a programmer. I had a lot of imposter syndrome because I would just feel like these other people are better than me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, And, like, as soon as someone else would, like, point out something or, like, do some really good work it somehow made my work feel less good, right? Less, even though it was different. And it's like, I don't know how I got wrapped up in that, but it was just one, something I kind of kept internally for a long time. Like I didn't tell anyone about it. It was just like kind of that little secret that like hangs on your shoulder and kind of weighs you down. And I can only imagine this was 10 years into programming. You Mm -hmm. know, it wasn't like year one. Wow. If being in the industry that long, like I can feel it. I can only imagine all the imposter syndrome that everyone trying to get into tech feels and like how lonely that is to not know that we all feel it. And like, this is how you can push through. So no, I think that's such a great area to focus on and to help people. I really love that, that you're focusing on that.
1: Yeah. And it's just like, especially come from a non-technical background when you're hounded with messages like, why are you getting into tech? Like you're almost questioned about your intentions and having that message. Well, at least for me, oh, you're not technical enough. And so it's just like having that, almost like when you go into a relationship, all this baggage, it's like, I'm going to this job, with all this baggage of like, me feeling like companies have told me that I'm just not good enough. And I'm going and I'm starting this role and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I even good enough because I keep being told I'm not technical? How did I manage to land this role? And it's just like, sometimes you feel like you're always having to prove that okay, I am technical enough. I do know what I'm doing. But as a junior, you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) You don't know what you're doing. And no one really ever knows what they're doing. And it's the the hardest thing to navigate. And it's so complicated. There's so many different layers to this. And it's just like, I've been very fortunate in both my roles that I've had a very supportive and inclusive team, but genuinely because I promise you if they weren't, I wouldn't have said anything. But like some people don't have that. So it's like they don't feel like they can open up to their work colleagues. They don't feel like they can be vulnerable with their managers. It's hard for them to actually address their pain points and how like their company or their manager or their team can support them. I think that can be one of the hardest things to actually manage. Like, oh my gosh, now I'm in the role. What the hell am I doing? (laughs)
0: No, that's a good point, right? A lot of focus can be, how do you learn programming? How do you get into the job? And then you get into the job and it's like, that's almost an area where people kind of almost lose that support. They're suddenly like, oh, well, now I got the job. I can't say I don't know what I'm doing. I can't ask questions. And they can kind of flounder a little bit in that first job, not knowing what to do.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, it's like asking questions is what they expect, And they don't necessarily expect that much from junior developers. Mm -hmm. And it's the most confusing thing because so you're told before the job, okay, you need to know all these things to land this role. And then when you're in the role, it's like we don't expect you to know anything. You don't. You don't have a clue. You're just a junior. And it's how do you go from one extreme to the other? Just let me know because I don't get it. (laughs) I don't get it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's so interesting because as people are junior, I hope that people can really embrace asking questions because like it should never leave. At my last company, I was managing a team of all senior engineers, but like you have engineers who have to learn the code base, right? They have to learn the like industry you're in, right? We were in cybersecurity. Then you had people like I hired some people who knew React And they were good at React, but we were using Angular. Mm. Like, I kept having to tell them, like, I know you're a senior engineer, but, like, it's okay to ask questions. And at some point, I kind of just started saying, hey, listen, in your first 90 days, that's your permission to ask every question that enters your mind. Yes, you can ask questions after the first 90 days, but, like, you shouldn't be withholding yourself from asking any question in the first 90 days because that's, like, your free ticket to ask questions. Yeah, Like, everyone expects questions in the first 90 days. I think that's definitely, like, Take advantage of those first 90 days. Like everyone knows you're new. Ask every question.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think people need more managers like that to communicate. Okay. It's very normal to ask questions. Like this is something that we celebrate within the organization because if people aren't told that, it's just like they normally do internalize. Oh, okay. If I ask a question, then it's just going to, again, like what we're speaking about the soloist. Oh, it's going to expose that. I really am an imposter. And What questions are good questions? And is this a stupid question? I don't want to ask stupid questions in this big meeting of like 50 people in this Zoom call. It can be quite stressful for people. I was very fortunate in my first role as a junior software engineer. The director used to always ask questions. You knew that if he was in the meeting, he would have some question to ask. And it kind of gives you that safety to know that, well, if this director is asking these questions, then I can definitely ask the questions and you know, it's not an all-or-nothing thing. The great thing about hybrid working is that you can type a question. I didn't necessarily appreciate, because I was doing all these things during the pandemic, I didn't necessarily appreciate the fact that these things all used to be in person. I can't imagine doing a stand in person. <laughs> like, I've never had to do it. And so I can imagine that could be even more anxiety-inducing. Like, everyone looking at you,
0: Yo. right?
1: And you're saying, well, what the hell was I doing yesterday? Because I didn't have a clue. just trying to like go through the code base and do my best to navigate like whatever ticket that I was assigned so yeah I didn't necessarily appreciate just how different it was pre-pandemic
0: yeah it definitely like you said I think it's interesting because some people are concerned that like oh remote Juniors won't have as much support, but I feel like it's also less scary and it's easier to like slack someone a question walking over to someone's desk where everyone can hear you and like asking a
1: question. Exactly, but then also when you're onboarded virtually, it can be quite hard to reach out to people. Yeah. At least that's what I found in my experience because it's like everyone knows each other. Everyone knew each other from pre-pandemic and you kind of feel like this outsider. you just like this little box in the stand-up, it can be quite intimidating. Okay, so now I need to reach out to this person and ask them a question. (laughs) And I don't know why I found that just so scary, even though I knew that everyone was super nice and really collaborative. And when he did ask them the question, there was like literally no judgment. It still petrified me. And I think, again, like that's why it's so important to have these kind of connections, especially when you're working in a virtual environment. When I was starting my role, there was still like, we literally were not allowed by the government to go into the office. So there was like no hybrid situation. I think it's really important to have some kind of like one-to-one calls, incumbent team members <laughs> set with new joiners, because as a new joiner, because you don't see what everyone's doing. So you assume that everyone is super busy and they won't have time to even have like a 15 minute coffee chat. And I think that when you arrange those things for new joiners, it makes a huge difference in terms of feeling included, having that more likely to have that psychological safety to like contribute, ask questions, make mistakes and be open about it. So, yeah.
0: I totally agree. I think that anyone who's listening who has like the ability to kind of push that stuff, right? If you are a, you know, mid or a senior developer or even just a junior who's been at your company for a couple of years, like when new people come in, like do what Amber said, reach out, do a coffee chat, like, you are helping that person feel more comfortable, feel part of the family and kind of taking taking the responsibility of being the person who has been at the company longer to like invite them in.
1: Yeah, and give them insight into like various different team members, what they're like. I remember meeting with my director and he said, you know, if you need help with X, go to this person. If you need help with Y, go to that person. And I was just like, I asked the right person. (laughs) I'm talking to the perfect person. And it helped me just to gain a better understanding of like my team members and also like areas that they're strong in as well.
0: As we wrap up the episode, we always like to see if anyone has anything they'd like to share with the community. Obviously you listed off a lot of really awesome things (laughs) at the beginning of the episode. So I just like to kind of swing back around and uh, have you share some of that stuff again for people to be able to check out.
1: Thank you. So I co-host the Glowing in Tech podcast. It's powered by Coding Black Females. It is a space where we showcase black women in tech. So th- we split the episodes in two parts of episodes. First part is just learn about them and their journey into tech. And then we have a technical discussion called Tech Topic in 10, which is always like super exciting <laughs> And then we have like Spilling the Tech Tea, where they share their controversial take or something in the tech industry. And that's always something super fun. So, yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, It's on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and Audible. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. We'll include links to that as well as everything else you've mentioned kind of in this episode today in the show notes. So if any of that sounds familiar, definitely go check it out. And Amber, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been just a pleasure to talk.
1: It's been amazing to talk. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun.
0: Thanks for joining us for episode 29. Please just give a girl a chance with Amber Shand. You can find out more about Amber on her website, AmberShand.co.uk or her Twitter at Amber Lee Tech. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to Amber's website and Twitter in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help others discover it as well. Why don't you give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform? Maybe tag a friend or coworker that you think would enjoy it. Don't forget to follow us wherever you hang out online, or you can subscribe to our newsletter. Stay up to date on a weekly basis. Thank you for listening, and have a great day.
1: Have a great day. Take care.